I wanted to give a quick welcome to all the new subscribers we've gotten over the past few weeks. It's really been amazing. I also wanted to give a huge thank you for all your constant support. If you have a story to tell, please reach out via email at contact at campfirequiltpod.com or leave a voicemail message at 720-297-8608. You can follow us anywhere socially at Campfire Cult Pod and online at campfirecultpod.com. to the Campfire Cult Podcast. From a camper van deep in the haunted woods, I bring you first-hand accounts of chilling encounters with the paranormal. Step into the night and take a peek into the realm where reality and the supernatural collide. My name is Jazz, and I'll be your host. Welcome back, campers. So sorry for the long break, but I think we finally have our shit together. It'll be a grab bag sort of episode this evening with stories ranging from stalkers in the woods and dogman encounters to brushes with true evil in human form. Now, on to our first story, where a teen girl and her friend encounter what she describes as a black-haired, red-eyed werewolf in her yard on a moonlit night at her summer home in Shelter Island, New York. Not to get too geographically confusing, but Long Island is accurately named. It's a long island that forks off about a three quarters of the way down the 90 miles it stretches. It kind of looks like a fish with its mouth open, with the North Fork being where the eyes are and the Hamptons are the jaw. Shelter Island is somewhere in the middle, like a smaller fish about to be eaten. Shelter Island is my favorite place, and in a lot of ways, just the island itself feels magical. The only access is by ferry, And while traveling there, you feel like you are being transported into a different world. But the picture of Shelter Island in the summer is very different than the winter. In the summer, the population rises to around 20,000 people, but in the winter, not more than 2,000. I was around 13 or 14. I had invited my best friend to come out with my family that weekend. I was so excited, as it was one of the first times she was able to. I remember our bathroom was being renovated, and so the only other bathroom we could use was in the dank, dark basement. And the only connection to the house was by going outside and down the stairs and then down another set of stairs into the basement. It had to have been around 10 o'clock, and we went together to the bathroom to brush our teeth. The moon was almost full, so bright it provided some light on an island that street lamps were few and far between. If it wasn't for the light of the moon, we probably would have passed the creature altogether without realizing it because out there you can hardly see two feet in front of you when it's dark. As we were coming back up the stairs, laughing about something menial, was when we saw it. It was about 10 feet away with its back to us, lurking near my shed. We both froze and did that thing where you take a quick breath and hold it, involuntarily. That made the creature notice us. Its head whipped around and his eyes were glowing, a kind of blood red. It didn't look angry, but rather like a feral dog, not knowing how to react to these two teen girls observing it. 
Almost as if not to scare us, it slowly rose up to full size, which I would guess was around seven feet. The whole time, it never broke eye contact, and I felt I could fall into the pits of blood that its eyes were. It was covered in long, shaggy black hair and had thick, human-like legs. After standing there, frozen in horror for at least a full minute, all the while still in this staring contest, we both regained control of our feet and ran up the stairs screaming for my parents. We saw a werewolf, we saw a werewolf. My dad went out first, and we followed. He quickly dismissed it and went back inside, a bit disgruntled. I could have sworn I saw a bush where it was near move. Over the years, I've had many theories. One of which is that the Native Americans who lived on the island before us are possibly responsible, as shape-shifting legends are prevalent in indigenous people's culture. Is this creature a guardian or protector of some kind sent to protect the land or something else entirely? I guess I'll never know. Next, a camping trip to Utah's Uinta Basin with a five-year-old took a tense and creepy turn. Last weekend, I took my five-year-old tent camping in northeast Utah for the first time. Towards the end of our first day, I couldn't shake this feeling of unease. I mostly shrugged it off, thinking I was overthinking things, and went back to making a campfire. At around 8 p.m., we got our campfire lit, we roasted hot dogs, and ate snacks. During this time, I think I heard a crack or subtle movement and thought it was just the embers popping. Once the sun finally set, I noticed it was completely pitch black outside the reach of our campfire, most likely due to the overcast weather. At this point, I decided it's time to pack up our food and take it to the car, but I had this sudden feeling that I was being watched, and I decided to turn my headlamp on. I faced 30 degrees to the right of me. About 40 to 50 feet from us, I saw a large bush, and above it, I saw two big white eyes with a hint of purple staring straight at me. The animal, er, creature, was far enough from the glow of the fire I couldn't see a silhouette of a body, but it was close enough that it was odd behavior, and it was only seconds from us if it ran towards us. My first thought was it was a bear standing on its hind legs just being curious. It looked to be eight feet tall or so. As I had my light facing the creature, who was abnormally close to our campsite, I grabbed my kiddo and bear spray and told my kid there's a bear behind a tree and assured him we will be fine. This creature just watched us intently. Suddenly, a few seconds later, my intuition screamed, get out now. I then started walking backwards towards my car and told my kid to walk slowly with me. The creature made no movement and tilted its eyes on us as we moved away until my light could no longer reach it. I can't explain this new type of fear I was experiencing. It was unnatural. I think prioritizing my boy's safety allowed me to get us to the car in a much more composed manner. Once in the car, we waited 30 minutes to see if it would come into the campsite to look for food. But nothing happened. I thought perhaps it left and we could sleep in the car to be safe. I decided that I'm going to try and grab blankets from the tent, put out the fire, and we can pack out first thing in the morning. I thought wrong. The campsite was about 150 feet away from our car. To the right of us were big trees, and to the left of us was tall grass. I got out of the door and turned my headlamp on. I shined my light towards the brush, and laying low, I see the white eyes again staring up at me. 
I decided to try and act big and yell out at the creature, but it made a move towards me, which in return made me jump back into the car and reverse. I tried to shine my car lights towards it and couldn't see anything. I decided to find help, and I drove down and found a friendly fellow dad camper who was happy to help me pack things up to leave. He brought with him a much brighter flashlight and his truck. As I'm packing up, he sees the eyes and mentions that there's two of them. He states that they're not moose, deer, or cougars, and if it's a couple of bears, it's really odd behavior for them. I face towards where he is shining his light, and I see a second pair of white eyes. At this point, I am terrified. One of them is standing tall, while the other is lower. This time, they are much further back, as if they now know there's a new reach limit to the light devices being used. It wasn't until the lower set of eyes decides to stand up and is much taller than the first one, making it look monstrous. This made my new friend very uneasy, and the whole time we are packing out, I would catch these creatures creating a perimeter around us. They just walked around the campground in circles, waiting for something, it seemed. I tried to think of rational possible theories, but the more I think about it, the more I can't shake the feeling this could have been a Sasquatch or something else. They were too smart, intuitive, bold, scary, and didn't act like normal wildlife. In our next story, two young women have a brush with a human monster that is all too real. It was 1977. I had taken time off work to have a baby and stay home with her. But I still needed an income, so my mother had hired my younger sister and me to do the dirty, back-breaking work in her shop while she took care of her first infant granddaughter. My sister and I were working at our mom's antique store at the time. Mom had just gotten a truckload of European oak furniture that needed to be cleaned and polished, have the handles screwed on, and other little things to get it ready to sell. A nice-looking young man came into the store and started talking to my sister, who was 17 at the time. He introduced himself as Teddy Smith, and we laughed and said we must be related as mom's maiden name was Smith also. He chatted both of us up, but focused on sis for the most part. He purchased an armoire, but said he'd have to go get his truck since at the moment he was driving his VW Bug, an old VW Bug. He then asked my sister and me if we wanted to go out to dinner that night with him. We were sweaty and dirty from work. I had a baby to care for and sis already had a boyfriend. So we said, thanks, but no thanks, Ted. He asked me to ride with him to get his truck so he could drop his bug off at the auto shop for repairs. But by that point, I had to get home to my infant because I was still nursing her and I thought my breasts were going to begin leaking at any minute. He wouldn't give up trying to get one or both of us away from the shop. He said he could come back about 10 o'clock that evening for his armoire and asked whether one or both of us would be there. We replied, no, we close the shop at six and we both have places to be tonight. He was persistent. How about tomorrow night? No, we close at six, except on Saturdays when we close at four. He asked whether one of us could meet him early in the morning, like at 5.30 a.m., but neither of us wanted to. He was getting to be a bit creepy. Eventually, he said he was sorry, but he couldn't buy the armoire if we couldn't be flexible. We hated to give up the sale, but after he had been there for two hours, we thought he was just looking and taking up our time. We still had a lot of work to do on the furniture that had just arrived in the shop. Finally, we just wanted to finish our work and go home. At 6 p.m., as we were leaving, his VW Bug was parked outside and he asked us whether we want to go for coffee. He especially wanted my sister to go. We said, thanks, Ted, but no thanks. Like we said earlier, we have plans, 
but he continued to be insistent. Finally, I said, Sis, let's go, I'll take you home. Even though she had her car there, for some reason, I didn't want to leave her to drive home alone with this guy around. So he drove off in his bug and we really didn't think of it again. Until the next year, when his picture appeared on the news, the man most of us know as Ted has been seen only in a picture. It's a composite drawing that police created from eyewitness accounts. But police say Ted is a real man, and they have spent the last 15 months trying to track him down. Paul Boyd takes a look at the history of this case. King County Police launched their investigation after Denise Naslin and Janice Ott vanished from Lake Sammamish State Park in July 1974. At least seven people at the crowded beach saw and heard a man who called himself Ted. He was described as a smooth-talking man with his arm in a cast who asked several women to help him load a boat onto a Volkswagen. A massive search was launched for Ted, and police were flooded with calls from citizens who said they had seen the suspect. The first break in the case came with the discovery of the skeletal remains of six women in the mountains east of Seattle. With the bodies found all in one place, bodies of women who disappeared from places as far away as Corvallis in Seattle, police realized that one man was probably responsible for the deaths of at least eight women. I think of stories like this and wonder how often we have encounters with serial killers every day that just go unnoticed. Could that dude walking down the street that my dog Boogie won't stop barking at be one? Or that super creepy gas station attendant be the next Ted Bundy? You never really know. There are definitely people that you come across every day that give off, I don't know, the sort of vibe that unnerves you and leaves a lasting impression. For this next story, we're headed back to the summer of 2007, where a late night drive down an old country road takes a horrifying turn. My encounter happened in February of 2007. I used to work third shift at a paper stock factory. The main day shift supervisor was on vacation, so our boss on night shift decided she wanted to leave early, so she let us sneak off about two hours earlier than our normal shift end time. So this would have been between 4.30 and 5 o'clock a.m. I was following a co-worker down this county road as the warehouse was on the outskirts of my small rural town. I noticed he hit his brakes and proceeded to swerve off the road. I'm probably 1,000 feet behind him, and I'm thinking to myself, what the heck is this dude doing? And that's when I saw it. There was a tall, dark shape strolling down the middle of the road in a hunched over and swaying side to side sort of manner. I have likened it to how one of those tall windblower figures you see swaying at a car dealership or something like that moved. Very unnatural movements. I can't do it justice by describing it, as it would only really make sense if someone saw it themselves. It looked like a tall person wrapped in a large, dark blanket or cloak. I had to hit the brakes and swerve too, but I came to a full stop. Whatever it was, I couldn't make out any features or characteristics. I saw a large torso with two legs. The upper half was hunched forward as if it was leaning like an older person would with a walker. Now at that time, I was driving a 1998 Ford Explorer, and I've looked up the height of the vehicle, and it lists it as around 67 inches, but whatever walked past my driver's window was a good foot or more higher than that. So I believe whatever was walking was over seven feet tall minimum. Again, I could not see a head, any arms, just a figure with legs walking. My taillights illuminated it as I started to drive past it, 
I couldn't make out any definite details for the body. I didn't see fur, skin, or anything like clothing. It was solid, not like a translucent type of thing. It was just large, thick, and black, or at the very least dark gray in color. My co-worker had pulled over into a parking lot a little ways down the road, and I followed him in and you could tell he was scared. He was saying something along the lines of, what was that? It didn't have a head, among a lot of other things most panicked people say. We decided to drive back down and try to see if it's still there and what it actually is. I drove in front and he was following behind. We come up to the general area and I noticed there's a large black animal laying in the middle of the road. It appeared to be a big black dog. Part of me knew this wasn't large enough to be what was walking in the road, but we had to stop because it was directly in the middle of the roadway. I decided to get out and walk up to it, all the while my co-worker is yelling at me to get back in my vehicle. As I approach whatever is laying in the road, it brings its head up and looks back at me. Its eyes are glowing yellow, which I write off as I shine from the headlights, but it growls at me. So I stop dead in my tracks and just watch. This thing stands up on its back legs like a person, but falls back down. It sits back up and hobbles off to the side of the road like a wounded animal that wasn't able to use its front legs. It looked like your typical German shepherd or wolf type face, but its fur was puffy like a chow dog's. It was a lot bigger than most dogs, but still not as tall as whatever was walking down the road. I didn't see any blood or wounds, so I can't say if it was actually hurt or not. My coworker got out of the car by this point after it had disappeared into the woodline. We discussed what the heck just happened, but while we were talking, I noticed next to our feet was a mouse. It was just standing there with us, but it was cleaning itself. I nudged it with my shoe, and it just kept cleaning its face as if it wasn't afraid of us. The mouse was sitting in the upright position, as in it was on its hind legs and using its front paws to wipe itself. I never really considered it until recently that all three of these bizarre happenings was all on two legs. We got back in our vehicles and drove off. Then, the next time at work, I had mentioned what happened, and our co-workers laughed at us, so the other guy who saw it told me to stop talking about it and just forget it ever happened. So for 15 years, I never told anyone until now. I have tried to rationalize it into something that makes sense, but even then, it doesn't completely add up. I tried to explain it away as just a large dog that must have gotten hit by a vehicle before my coworker and I got there. Maybe it was messing around with the mouse and it got hit, which broke its front legs and that's why it was trying to use its back legs. That sounds at least plausible until you think about the original thing we saw walking without a head. The dog was nowhere as tall as that thing was, so even with the dog standing upright, it was close to six foot roughly. But whatever was walking had to have been over seven feet tall, as it was so much taller than my explorer, even with it hunched over. I can explain away the dog and mouse, but I can't just explain what that was, so I'm back at square one trying to understand what it could have possibly been. As someone who's always been very skeptical, it becomes very hard to accept the unacceptable. I have always been interested in weird creatures, but I never truly believed they existed. I still struggle to believe that all these crazy stories could be true, and yet, who am I to say they aren't, especially with the weird crap that my former co-worker and I went through that night? All I know is what I saw, 
but whatever I saw is still so unexplainable. It sounds crazy, and I personally would be hesitant to believe it if someone else told me this happened to them, but that's what happened. Next, we have two solo campers that have run-ins with stalkers in the woods. I do a lot of small camping adventures throughout the year. I try to keep these adventures under three days long so that I could do them on the weekend and only have to take a day or two off from work. This was just another camping trip of mine that I'd set to go on one weekend in the middle of April. My plan, so to speak, was to hike an estimated five hours up to a small lake and set my camp right next to it, then stay a few nights before going back. On the morning of, I drove out there and started out around 8 a.m. This lake didn't have any trails leading to it, which was part of the reason I chose to hike there. It was only a five-hour walk, so getting lost wasn't too concerning, and I wouldn't have to share my experience alongside a bunch of random people who also wanted to go camping at the same spot. Four hours into walking, though, I thought I saw someone. I was just spacing out when I saw something far ahead rush past my view. I froze in place, trying to see what or who it was and where they had gone. But there wasn't any more movement. I wasn't looking directly at it when it happened, so I didn't have a clear enough view to know for sure that it was a person. But I paid more attention for the final hour of the hike. When I reached the lake, I was taken aback by its beauty. It was the perfect place to catch a break. Almost as soon as I did, though, I saw someone. This time, for sure. They were on the other side of the lake, walking around by the trees. They had no backpack or anything. They were just walking. I looked around for their campsite, but didn't see anything at all. After a minute, they walked into the forest and didn't come back. This definitely made me slightly nervous knowing someone else was out here at a lake in the middle of nowhere. I chose to spend the rest of the evening at my campsite, and come nightfall, I started up a fire. I kept it small so I didn't draw too much attention. It had been almost four hours since I'd seen the person, but I was still nervous. I warmed up some food and ate, then took a book out to pass the time. I got through a few pages, but I couldn't ignore this feeling like I was being watched. I knew it had to be my brain being paranoid because of earlier, but after a few minutes, I couldn't even get myself to read anymore. I put the book down and packed my stuff in the tent, preparing to go to bed. Right before I put out the fire, I did one last look around. About 15 yards away, there was someone standing. Although it was really dark, I knew they were watching me. They stood still, not moving or anything, and we both just stared at each other through the dark forest. We must have been like that for a whole minute when the person started backing up. They still faced me but walked backwards into the trees until they were submerged in the darkness. I was physically shaking. What were they doing, and were they going to come back? I built the campfire larger and stayed up through the entire night. At the break of dawn, I packed everything up and moved quickly, making my way back. There wasn't a bone in my body that wanted to stay there a second longer. During my hike back, I swear I heard footsteps far behind me on multiple occasions. Even now, thinking back on it, I can feel my body tense from the fear I experienced on that trip. I don't know what that person wanted, who they were, or what they were doing out there. But based on how they were stalking me, it couldn't have been good. 
If I had stayed there another night or had slept in the tent, I'm almost positive I wouldn't be here today. Now onto our second story where a camper stumbles upon an abandoned tent and gear that leads to a chilling late night encounter. Last year was the first time I'd ever had something happen on my camping trip. I'd go camping alone several times a year, usually going to the same spots, but sometimes I try and find somewhere different. For this trip, I decided on a four mile camping trail that I'd never been on before. I drove out two hours from my house to a remote location where I started the hike. Right away, I was not enjoying the trail as much as I thought I would, mainly because some portions of it were wet and muddy, but I continued along and tried to avoid those spots. After about 45 minutes in, I saw something off the side of the trail. It was a tent. The tent looked very worn down and had a few rips in it. From afar, I could see that nobody was inside of it, so I walked closer. There were no signs of any intentional damage. It all just seemed to be weathered over a long period of time. The fact that it was still standing up was mind-blowing to me. I looked around it and inside of it, but oddly enough, there was nothing else. I thought I'd find a bunch of stuff left behind, but there wasn't anything at all other than the tent itself. After a couple of minutes, I went back to the trail. I thought about it for a while, but couldn't come up with any good reasons to leave a tent standing unused as if someone had to get out of there in a hurry. As I walked for the last hour and a half of the trail, I came across dozens of left behind objects. All of them were camping or hiking equipment, but seeing all of this stuff scattered around a relatively short trail gave me a real uneasy feeling. Who would leave everything behind? It was definitely not an accident, and I was pretty sure it was all from one person. When I got to the end, I set up my tent a good distance away from the trail just to be safe. It was getting dark already, so I stayed at my campsite until I was ready to sleep. I felt a bit nervous to go to bed, but I was able to sleep through the whole night without issue. When I got up, it was early in the morning, around four or five, so the sun wasn't fully up yet. I unzipped my tent and stepped out, but right away, I could tell something was wrong. I turned around, and on the other side of my tent, a man stood just a few feet away. He was tall and thin, wearing disgusting looking and tattered clothes, and his face was covered in dirt and grime. He looked at me with an empty stare. I stood there motionless in the moment. I was so shocked and scared, it almost didn't even seem real. He spoke in a soft yet creepy tone. I nodded and quickly started gathering my backpack, but he immediately rushed toward me. I fell back and all I could get myself to say was, okay, 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 repeating it over and over. The man stood over me still with that empty look in his eyes and said, get out now. I quickly got up and rushed away, leaving everything behind. I took one look back as I got out of there and the man was rummaging through my backpack like a curious animal. I jogged as far as I could, then fast walked the rest of the way to my car. Thank God I kept my phone and keys in my pocket or this situation could have been a hundred times worse. I drove out until I got service, then called 911. I found out that there was an almost identical case to what I experienced, but whoever filed it chose for it not to be publicly announced by the media. This was likely the person whose tent and belongings I found on the trail. After a week of talking to the police and going over everything, they were able to organize a small search party of officers. They went down the trail and came back with no sightings or evidence of the man, but they found most of my stuff nearby, my campsite tossed around like trash. After that, the case went stale, just like the previous person's. The thing I always come back to is how the man didn't keep anything. 
He just scattered it all around the forest with no intent of using any of it. Was he just looking for food? Did he have a camp nearby and wanted me to leave the area? I haven't been solo camping again since, and honestly, I'm not sure I ever will. There are a lot of people hidden away in the woods. Most are out there for a peaceful adventure and to disconnect from the everyday stresses. Others have more sinister reasons, I'm sure. We've come to our final encounter of the evening, where the main characters in this chilling tale are a woman, a cat, and a wolf-like creature. I was with a friend in her truck, and we were driving home on a winding mountain road in the western North Carolina Appalachian Mountains. There were no streetlights, and it was pitch black. We noticed another truck heading toward us suddenly swerve into our lane. My friend hit the brakes and laid on the horn, and the truck crept back over. We were a bit shaken and slowly began moving forward. It was then that we saw why the other truck had veered into our lane. There was a huge deer carcass in the road, and crouched over it was a gigantic animal. As we drove very slowly, my friend put her brights on. What looked like a gargantuan wolf was bent over the carcass, eating. It had very long front legs with little fur on them. I've worked with wolves and had never seen one this huge. It suddenly looked up at our truck, and the headlights caught it fully. Black fur, muscular forearms, and golden-orange eyes that looked eerily human. I remember we both made gasping noises. My friend kept driving, and then we turned and looked at each other, both saying, That was a freaking werewolf! She was not at all a person who believed in any sort of supernatural stuff. We drove the rest of the way home in silence. We only spoke about it one time after that, and it was to compare what we had seen. At that time, I had never heard of the dogman, and I forgot all about it until two years later when one showed up in my backyard. I had bought a house in the mountains in a quiet established neighborhood within walking distance of the town center. After moving in, I was adopted by a stray cat that looked like she had been outside her whole life, so I was slowly introducing her to a hybrid indoor-outdoor life. It was October, and it had gotten chilly, so I would bring her in at night before I went to bed. She usually was waiting on the back porch to be let in. I flipped on the porch light and stepped outside. You know how you can experience a flurry of events in seconds, but it feels like it's in slow-mo? It was like another part of me was watching what I was doing in slow motion playback, and this is what happened. I felt something before I saw it. The feeling is undeniable and consistent for me. Like I'm on that gravity drop ride at a carnival, the top of my head feels like a hive of bees is on it, and I am instantly and totally present. There was a gigantic black animal in the backyard. My back porch is up off the ground, with about five steps down, so I was seeing this from a higher vantage point. My first thought was bear, because I chase black bears out of my front yard on occasion. But never the backyard, and this was bigger than a bear. It had jet black fur, and was snuffling loudly on the ground as if trying to pick up a scent. The cat was not on the porch, and I wondered if this animal had snatched her. So anger boiled up in me pretty fast. Again, this all happened in seconds, so I yelled, Hey you! and scared the hell out of this thing. It yelped in surprise and spun to take off. It was so big and so fast that I heard its back paw tear out a clump of grass as it took off. It was impossibly, ridiculously fast. And if you have ever seen a bear run, they can be quick, but they kind of wobble and bounce when running. This thing took off in a streak. I was not thinking anything other than, find the cat. 
So I ran into the house and burst out the front door yelling, You motherfucker! If you killed my cat, I will strangle you with my hands. I saw it dive behind a row of hedges across the street. I caught the tail end of it, and it was a long, bushy tail. I stood in my front yard, still not registering, that this was a gigantic animal that could easily kill me. It poked its head halfway around a hedge to peek at me, and it looked exactly like a wolf. Then it took off again. I was frantically running around the house, calling for my cat, and she was nowhere to be seen. I got in my car and drove around the neighborhood looking for her, and figuring if I saw this thing, I could report it. When I got home, the neighbor's dog was outside in their fenced backyard. He was right near the spot the wolf had been in my yard, and he started pawing at the ground, digging and howling. I had never seen him behave that way. I kept circling the house, looking for my cat. I was standing out front when she came into the yard from the neighbors. She walked up to me and looked terrified. Puffed fur, huge eyes. I picked her up. At that point, she wasn't into being held. And she locked her paws around my neck and clung to me for about 10 minutes, shaking. She has never done that since. And I had witnessed her casually hanging out 10 feet from a giant male bear before. I didn't sleep that night and instead was thinking about the thing me and my friends saw on the road that night two years before. I started searching werewolf and going down rabbit holes. I posted it on a neighborhood forum and a guy commented, thank God I'm not crazy. That thing passed in front of my car a few nights ago at 2.30 in the morning and it was so big I thought I was hallucinating. After that I was spooked, but thankfully I have never seen it again but I will never forget the bizarre energy that surrounded this being and how it affected me. Looks like that's it for tonight, dear listeners. Until next time, I'll be leaving you in the dark where whispers linger and shadows dance. Stay wary, sleep well, and beware the whispers in the night. If you have a story to tell, please reach out via email at contact at campfirecultpod.com or leave me a voicemail message at 720-297-8608. You can follow us anywhere on social media at Campfire Cult Pod and online at campfirecultpod.com. And finally, if you don't mind, please rate and review wherever possible. <laughs> <laughs>